Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon, joined by my fellow stat nerd Dalton Del Don. Dalton, it's June eighth, bro. It's 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 we're we're we are squarely in the no accountability time of the fantasy football calendar, as I like to call it. I understand you have been uh, living a life of leisure on the golf course, you know, but also banging out baseball profiles. You you got a lot going on, man. How the hell are you doing, bro? Yeah, and my Warriors are locked in a very competitive finals right now. So, yes, yeah, a lot going on in the sports world. But there's no offseason in the NFL. Um, I mean, yeah, and I, I actually have, doing my rankings here and doing some best ball drafts, I have some receiver uh, questions. And I'm like, man, I have a Mr. Reception Perception on a podcast tomorrow. So I have some ideas to, some questions to throw your way for some receivers. We'll talk some some overall strategy and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I hear you, though. We are in, we are in the uh, the doldrums of summer right now. I mean, it's good timing, dude. I just got out of route, a heavy dose of route prison post-wedding, you know, because it's just like two weeks I completely lost, obviously, for good reason. Two plus weeks uh, I lost of like charting time. So I was like, ooh, I feel really good going into it. I'm uh, I'm I'm all caught up on work, and then as soon as I get back, I'm like, there's a lot of guys to get through, and some uh, some really important guys that I know we are going to talk about later. We can hit on uh, for sure. But before we do that, we have a lot of other things to kind of mold our conversation around. Uh, you know, we're going to do our best on this podcast to educate listeners. I admit that I'm not really like the biggest strategy honk in the world, but it, it's good to talk about these things going into draft season, you know, kind of getting folks prepared. I think you, especially you're someone I really like to bounce these ideas off as well. So we're going to spend today's podcast talking about different draft strategies, the pros and cons for each kind of also giving some hardcore concrete examples for players this year that you can build um, these strategies around. But before that, we do have to address uh, the dumbass elephant in the room. Now that he's uh, in Cleveland, there are more and more, frankly, disgusting accusations coming out from Deshaun Watson's time in Houston. Um, they kind of further cement <laughs> just not not like the not good era around the guy. It's 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 tough to read. I would encourage everybody to go read the New York Times piece that came out about it yesterday. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, do you have like a take about this? I I don't want to be naive here and i hate to to like go out on a limb being naive about these things but the more you read about it the more it just feels like the nfl is going to come down uh hard on this guy i know especially in the wake of trevor bauer and you know i don't want to like equate i don't number one don't know a damn thing about baseball we know that but i I always kind of i don't want to like equate 
this guy did this, this guy did that. That's not really um, my sphere at all, especially. Uh, but in the court of public opinion, we know this stuff matters from a PR angle. The MLB slammed Trevor Bauer with a huge suspension. I don't know that Deshaun Watson is going to get like a two-year ban or something like that, but I kind of feel like it's going it, to – it is tough for me to imagine him not getting a lengthy – lengthy suspension you've even got like Mike Florio from pro football talk posting articles about hey here's a sneaky way the Browns can get out of this contract I, I don't know if I see that happening but this is this has changed I think the tenor around the entire thing has justifiably changed from when he I mean obviously signed that massive ridiculous contract with the Browns yeah it has really so while we with the latest news um I mean without getting the details just I think simply I, I just moved down all the Browns in, in fantasy terms I moved down Amari Cooper I moved down David Njoku David Bell was a nice sleeper yeah. I think from a fantasy perspective we all just need to assume the Cleveland Browns are going to be starting Jacoby Brissett at quarterback in two throughout 2022 is 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 my view I think it's a long shot if Deshaun Watson plays at all this season and a best case scenario for for fantasy managers uh, invested in Browns already is Baker Mayfield now returns for a year so that's where we stand with Watson it's ugly stuff and I do I, I think at this point the the absolute safe bet is not to expect him to play football certainly this year and maybe ever again in the NFL dude I completely agree with you like especially if you are drafting in best ball leagues right now the safest assumption is to just go ahead and and project zero snap for Watson this year uh, I think is is the smart play like I don't want to sit here and imagine a hypothetical world where Amari Cooper is catching passes from Deshaun Watson I just feel like that's very unlikely in 2022 you know David Njoku any of these guys forget about it and then yeah it's a very different universe if you're going from a Watson-led offense obviously off the field gross but on the field we know he is I mean that's another thing too with Watson like we haven't seen the guy play in a long, long time. I mean, he'll probably come back and still be a good quarterback, whether it's in a hypothetical 2022 universe or a 2023 universe. But we still haven't seen him play in a long time. It's a new offense, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of questions there regardless. Um, but still, that's a different universe from him versus Jacoby Brissett, um, who from like a skill set standpoint doesn't necessarily mesh, I think, all that well. Um, like Jacoby Brissett's a pure like drop back passer. This is like a, a movement based pocket based uh, or moving pocket based offense, you know, play action mobility is heavy in this, in this scheme. I don't know. That's a weird fit to me in general. It was a strange kind of move that when they made that and I, the Baker Mayfield thing, I think this is something I've kind of been thinking about for a while. I think it actually in a world where Watson's not on the field in 2022, it probably would make sense for both sides if they just came to Baker and said, hey, look, you hate us. We get it. You know, you, you feel scorned by us. Why don't you go in a way he probably doesn't want to help himself or he doesn't want to help them. But he would help himself if he went out there and was like, yeah, I hate you guys, but uh, I can probably recoup my value best in this ecosystem. You know, not he's already a guy that people have questions about as a person. I doubt that a lot of teams are going to look kindly on him being like, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I shouldn't say teams have questions about him as a person. They have questions about him as like a leader or a face of the franchise, that type of stuff. I doubt that it would go over all that well if he sat out the entire year, you know, in protest or something like that, and then tried to come back next year with another team uh, or whatever. I, I don't think he would recoup his value best in Carolina or Seattle the best place for him to be is probably in Cleveland but I don't know if I see that uh relationship getting you know remade at this point too they've already told him they excused him from OTAs today uh you know from mandatory minicamp that type of stuff 
Uh, so I don't know. I, I just think that Cleveland could go from a, you know, this dream world that was probably never going to be a reality with Watson in 2022 to a stone cold nightmare this coming season. I hear you about taking a year off is definitely meaningful, but the last time we saw Deshaun Watson, he was leading the league in YPA 8.9 without DeAndre Hopkins. I think it's a significant downgrade, whoever plays quarterback there without him. But with the latest news, if you're doing best ball now, I think instead of projecting, you know, six game suspension from him, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a year. I mean, it's just the details are, are gross, and uh, I do not expect to see that dude on, on the field anytime soon. And absolutely, they just need to fix the Baker Mayfield situation. The Browns, just, they, have, they have to mend that, and it's still possible. You know, it's fortunate for them that he's not already found another, you know, another two. They didn't trade him earlier because at least, he, you know, it's not the worst fallback option. The guy was playing with a yeah, very know, significant yeah. torn labrum left left shoulder last year. Yeah, no, it's just a it's a gross situation, obviously, to talk about no matter how you feel about the whole thing. It's it's doesn't feel great to discuss it uh, from like a fantasy angle or whatever. For but sure. yeah, I, I imagine that we are not going to see him this year. Maybe we look ridiculously. We look naive and the NFL comes down on him with like a little slap on the wrist but i tend to doubt it at this point it would it would be pretty outrageous if that happened so uh we shall see all right let's move on to some real hardcore strategy talk real real big pivot there from watson to uh fantasy football strategy but we'll jump right in first with um zero rb uh let's talk about what is zero rb basically um you know you're kind of punting the running back position it doesn't literally mean you're drafting zero running backs you're taking running backs at some point uh, of your draft but discuss why this can be a viable strategy why people do it and i'm i'm also curious is it something that you ever execute yeah so sean siegel i probably screwed up his last name on rotoviz uh was the creator of this um awesome should check out his work um and uh it's been proven to be very successful and then a lot of people imitated it now um it's become uh popular yet again so I, w- I have not really implemented I've been one of the dummies just jamming in the running backs old school the last few years been slower to adapt although I've been you know, I changed that up last year and I'm really going to change it up this year zero RB sounds like the way to go I could argue especially in PPR not only is it the highest floor for your team given the huge turnover rate of these the bust rate of the running backs early but really I could argue it's also the highest ceiling because if you hit the the you know the wide receivers and then you get the backup running backs late that turn into the starters and and that's the team that's going to win your overall contest another way of, of of putting this is basically uh no wide receivers emerge later in drafts put up uh top 10 stats in a given week they just don't exist whereas running yeah. backs they're hard to identify but all there you know there were a dozen last year that were uh taken in the second half or undrafted and produced top 10 fantasy stats of the position weekly so that there's a, there's not only a higher floor there's a higher upside and this year when you look at the not only the dead zone but running backs available late with a ton of upside so i think zero rb makes as much sense at any moment uh, andy barons and pianowski on the last uh yahoo pod did a good job of just talking about the the difference in bell cows there used to be running backs yeah. routinely getting 300 touches and that's just just no longer the case no it's no longer the case i, I will say uh, I have done zero RB plenty of times throughout uh, throughout my years playing fantasy, especially the last like four years or something like that. I did a lot of work back in the NFL.com days talking about it there because I was kind of the only person really uh, pumping up Sean's work at that time at that website. So I-, I will say, though, now I think we've kind of we've jumped the shark a little bit with some of the zero RB talk, especially in best ball formats like I think and this is I think some of the data backs this up, but this is also my personal opinion as well. The biggest tenet of 
zero RB is like, you've got to be a hawk on the waiver wire. You have to be, you know, constantly churning those spots in your bench. And, you know, it doesn't feel great, but you're kind of like, you're projecting chaos at the running back position, whether it's upended depth charts, injuries, that type of stuff. So you're kind of hawking that waiver wire. You're looking for that goofball running back that's going to emerge as a potential starter um, out of nowhere. When you draft in a best ball format, obviously you draft it and then you forget about it. One of the things I think is important to remember, we oftentimes overstate our ability to project who that second running back is you know the the running back insurance guy we don't always know who that player is I come back to you know plenty of years when uh like Jamal Charles we thought it was going to be Niall Davis it ended up emerging as somebody else you know some stuff some stuff like that so that's another thing in best ball formats too you sometimes draft a guy you think is the second running back but then he ends up staying in this pass catching role and then another guy enters in as the early down banger and you can't make those changes in a best ball format like you've already draft that team and it is what it is um so i think it is important to grab running backs in some form or fashion in a best ball league but like a managed league you absolutely can do zero rb i do think it helps to be a point per reception league or even a half point does help as well and like you want to be able to start multiple wide receivers you know not just the standard two you want to be able to get three and a flex in there or if it's you know two flex spots stuff like that the more starting positions you have available the better and more viable a zero rb strategy can become is because you're able to you're able to actually start all these guys nothing feels worse than when you have uh four or five great wide receivers you can only start two and you pick like the two lowest scoring ones. Uh, so that is something I think to keep in mind, all of those variables when it comes to zero RB. Yeah, that is a fair point that waiver wire leagues are probably better for this because running backs are going to emerge or just unforeseen. Although the counter that best ball makes you be painfully patient with players like Rashad Penny uh, last year. But yeah. um, what, what are some targets here? So I'll, I'll throw some at you. Some, some, some just obvious backups with upside, uh, uh, Tony Pollard, our guy, yeah. Ronald Jones, Alexander Madison, oh, <laughs> Daryl Henderson, Khalil Herbert is emerging as a in- very interesting option. I don't know yeah. whether he's tied to the Bears, but he-, he might end up being superior to Dave Montgomery. And then Rashad White, especially with uh, our guy Leonard-, Leonard Fournette showing up a little bit uh, with some extra weight on oh, him, God, the opposite yeah. of the of the thighs and the calves uh, reports from him. So there's a, I mean, that's just off the top of my head, you know, half dozen options that could be top 10 uh, fantasy backs should the, their starter go down. And I'm right, by the way, because I, I do get your point that it's not always clearly the, the backup that's, that's the one that, that emerges with all the touches. Khalil Herbert, great example last year. You know, when David Montgomery first goes down, everybody, me included in one of my leagues, I blew uh, a big budget on Damian Williams. Uh, he gets hurt. But then even before he got hurt, Lil Herbert was factoring in, I think, more than most projected. And that's a perfect example that, like, in a best ball format, I doubt that Khalil Herbert was drafted in many leagues. So those points are then just completely unavailable to you or anyone else, obviously. But um, your zero RB teams need those uh, need those type of guys. And Cordero Patterson, another example last year that probably people were not drafting very much. But in uh, a managed league, he was a guy that if you had a zero RB team, you could rush out to the waiver wire and pick up Cordero Patterson when it's like, oh, there's clearly something going on here. So I do think that matters i think within this within zero rb actually maybe we'll save this for for the next uh the next part of this which is like modified zero rb is what i think rumford johnny has called it in the past or anchor rb hero rb this i don't love the like the naming discussions of these things uh like who said what first whatever uh it is what it is but basically 
it's this is exactly what it sounds like. It's a modified version of zero RB where you're taking that one anchor running back. See, it all it all comes together just fine, right? Uh, the anchor running back is like the one guy that you take to then uh, complement all of these great wide receivers. And then basically you're running back two, you're running back three, you're running back four. You're kind of punting those positions. And the biggest reason that people do this is the running back dead zone, which has become a super popular thing in like these hardcore fantasy circles. I won't sit here and like pontificate on about the running back dead zone. If you want to learn more about this theory, this thought, I uh, obviously Dalton, you can tell us what you think as well, but I think uh, JJ Zacharyson's done a lot of great uh, podcast work on this recently. So go check his show out late round quarterback on Twitter, the late round podcast, obviously uh, go check that out. If you want more like hardcore, real data points about the running back dead zone, but uh, Dalton, why are people like us, the the big dorks that are talking about fantasy here on freaking June 8th, why are we talking about the running back dead zone so much? Well, I, I would say this is kind of a miss. I misspoke earlier saying that the running back dead zone this year is a good thing for zero RB. It's actually a counter to zero RB because there are some interesting, even though I'm going to be this wide receiver heavy and I still have questions for you with, with wide receiver debates. But yes, I mean, Travis Etienne, Elijah Mitchell, Brees Hall, AJ Dillon. Those are, again, are just a, off the top of my head, guys going out their ECRs post 20 top two. They're going after the top 20 running backs. And those are some some interesting upside guys. So I could see the argument that I don't know, the dead zone this year looks quite different than it did a year ago. But of course, it may not turn out that way. But am I off saying that those 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 uh, where those running backs are going this year does look more enticing than the past couple of years? It does look more enticing on paper, but this is kind of always the, this is always the problem, right? Like last year, the whole crux of the dead zone is that these guys, if they were, if they were really locked into these great positions, they would be going higher, yeah. right? Like, yeah. and the fact that the, really the data shows that running backs drafted in, um, in the dead zone, which, you know, you could start it wherever you want, but, uh, I would say like rounds four to, to six, like maybe those, those guys go in there, the running backs in rounds, like eight rounds nine the they historically the gap between the point totals at year end is not that big last year i do feel like the dead zone was the deadest of dead zones that it possibly could be you know guys like people were talking themselves in a freaking miles gaskin in the running back dead zone last year um you know guys like josh jacobs kind of epitomize the running back dead zone they have just enough holes in their profile uh everything like that so but yeah, like players like Miles Gaskin, perfect example. I don't know that we have someone like that that is just like, this is a screaming trap that nobody should be making this pick. Like if you're making a running back pick that's not a highly regarded guy, not that hasn't shown much on the field, but it's like, who else is on the depth chart? Guess what? You've probably made it into the running back dead zone because we always, especially we play this game at wide receiver uh, and, it, and it does, it, it can work out with wide receiver. Like who else is there to throw to that can sometimes end up working out, but at running back, like the who else strategy or the who else thought often ends up with anyone else can emerge at the running back position. Your 49ers, uh, our 49ers are, are like the epitome of, of that. So that's kind of one of the anecdotal dangers of, of the dead zone. No, I agree. Like some of these guys this year do look a little more appealing than years past. But another, uh, maybe David Montgomery is the guy that you just have to project the volumes. You have to take him a certain spot. And I mentioned Elijah Mitchell. He definitely could be a, a bust in that dead zone. But the younger guys who have yet to do it, 
that are just getting knocked because of uh, because of that, like the ETNs and the Brees Hall. I think they they look a little bit more intriguing than than last year. But then again, ETN was was one of the guys getting taken there, and he he didn't even make it to week one. So I think in general, I'm with you here, and I'm taking receivers early, and those probably are landmines, even though they do look intriguing right here. Some of these dead zone areas, but um, I think the dead zone, frankly, uh, running back dead zone, uh, you could argue it starts right after Jonathan Taylor. I mean, that's these modified yeah. hero RBs. You want an early pick for that. Frankly, you want a number one pick and get Jonathan Taylor and then go from there because I think you could really make our, you could nitpick absolutely every running back after him. I, I, so that that's where I stand. Yeah, let's talk about that kind of tier of running backs. So I think this is the the whole crux of the hero RB strategy, the anchor RB strategy is like you need to get one solidified, rocked up running back and then kind of play the zero RB game at your running back two, your running back three spots. Like keep churning those guys. Take those uh, upside players like a Melvin Gordon. Everybody hates Melvin Gordon, for example. But if Javante Williams gets hurt, who buddy, like we're rocking with Melvin Gordon as the running back one on an offense that now has uh, Russell Wilson. You talked about Rashad White. If something happens to Leonard Fournette, Isaiah Spiller, something happens to Austin Eckler, you know, these are the guys you can sort of take there. And it does help to have some guys who have some standalone value. I think Melvin Gordon uh, is like the perfect example of that, right? Um, AJ Dillon, is probably too beefed up this year in ADP, but he was a perfect example of that running back to last year that you could throw out there and kind of hope for a decent floor, maybe even of ceiling if he ends up in the end zone. Melvin Gordon, I think, is the same way this year. Like he in a hero RB approach, you could be your running back too, right? Like because he's I hate to say it, but he's gonna get work this year. You know, he's gonna factor into this backfield on a good offense. But then again, he has massive upside in the event of chaos. And in this edition, chaos would be injury. But the anchor part of this, I think, is the hardest part to nail down this right. year, right, bro? Right. Because like you said it after Jonathan Taylor, you've got just I'm looking at ADP right now in best ball leagues. Chris McCaffrey, Austin Eckler, Derrick Henry, Najee Harris, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones. Alvin Kamara as guys that are like top 10 drafted backs right now. I feel good about Austin Eckler. Uh, who else are, who else are you like pounding the table for? I like, I like Aaron Jones a lot. I think Aaron Jones is going too late, but who else are you like really feeling great about right now? Is that quote anchor running back? No one at all. I, I, I like Aaron Jones too. I mean, DeAndre Swift, can he stay healthy? Um, Leonard Fournette up there in high value touches coming back there. You got to, I, I simply had to rank him high, but he, is he really going to repeat it? I mean, I mean, and, and look at how he showed up. Derek Henry, uh, there's a football outsiders column just really delving into his performance really declined before the injury last year. And we all know, you know McCaffrey's uh, injury. So yeah, I mean, it's, you want to build your, your anchor RB, ideally it's Jonathan Taylor and this strategy then you build your your uh, your tight ends, your quarterbacks, and obviously your wide receivers. You want RB two to be your biggest weak spot, uh, and this year it makes sense. Uh, but the problem, as you said, is getting the anchor. And then as the zero RB, I do like the the options later for that RB two, that weak spot, as you said, Melvin Gordon. We could just name so many of these options. But the problem with this strategy is if you don't get the number one pick, and and yeah, I think there's just it's it's tough this year drafting a running back early, and it's going to be. You know, weird to tell people in home leagues that are that are uh, that are not uh, you know smaller, shallower home leagues uh, that are that are used to ten running backs going in the first fifteen picks. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. Now, I mean, obviously there are upside scenarios for Christian McCaffrey. There are upside scenarios for Derrick Henry, even Dalvin Cook. Like I, I kind of look at Dalvin Cook and I think 
of these guys who Andy and Scott made this point, I think on last podcast, I, I talked about it a little bit in my uh, first or my first two round mock draft that I did for the website recently. Like we're at this weird spot with running backs where the old guard, and it's weird to say that guys like Christian McCaffrey, Derek Henry, and uh, Dalvin Cook, who really have been around since like 2018, um, for the most part, in terms of when they've been popping off, Derek Henry, even later in that, like, it's weird to say that these guys are the old guard, but we know that that's how the running back position works. These guys haven't really aged out, but look at those players that we just talked about, like DeAndre Swift and Najee Harris are kind of like the young guys throw Jonathan Taylor out. Cause like, obviously he's the first overall pick. We're, we're great there, but like Najee Harris, I think is pretty locked in. I, I know there's some rumors out there. There's some kind of speculation that he might not be. Um, by the way, if you're, if you're commenting on Najee Harris's weight, like just, just shut up, just, just shut up. And uh, I'll leave it at that. Um, but there is some speculation. They might lighten his workload. Now I, I'm kind of in the opinion of, I'll believe it when I see it. But DeAndre Swift hasn't really proven it over the course of a full season yet. We haven't had these guys kind of age in as the old guard, even throw Alvin Kamara in this, quote, old guard. These guys haven't fully aged out yet, and a new crowd hasn't fully aged in yet. And I think that's kind of where we're at a difficult spot with the running back position. Yeah, second contract running backs are becoming just so risky. I mean, yeah, you said you're uh, – I mean, I love – I absolutely love Eckler as well, but it's difficult to score 20 touchdowns and get barely sure, 200 yeah. carries. I mean, it's – it's tough to pro- project him. To, I mean, you're gonna have to take him in the top five pick. Of course you are, but um, yeah. I, I think just the the answer for me is I'm I'm if I don't get Jonathan Taylor, I'm I'm pivoting to wide receivers uh, and and doing the zero RB type strategy this year. So we've talked obviously about the the murkiness at the running back position, but one of the big you know cruxes of why people fade running backs in the dead zone or why people uh, kind of want to punt this position, especially in a hero RB strategy, because there are some guys you want to lock in early at running back, but you know, rounds three to six, a great spot to hammer wide receivers. I think that's kind of the, the other side of the token here, whereas running back has become riskier and riskier wide receiver has just become freaking flush with great options obviously towards the top of the draft we know there are some superstars up there that you're going to have to take with the first round pick but Dalton like how far down do you have to go at at, at your wide receiver rankings to be like you know what I don't feel good about this right like I'm looking at again just just drafted guys right now you know in the top 20 uh, of best ball leagues and like maybe you start to you start to maybe get to some questions around wide receiver I don't know 15 but the first 15 wide receivers look great on paper there's some questions you can ask about each guy but for the most part you feel pretty good about these guys but then you go down to like all the way to wide receiver 30 and it's like shoot i can talk myself i can make a a pretty bullish case for every single one of these players uh with the exception of a few guys so i think that's the other part of these fade running back strategies is we want to hammer these wide receivers who are looking more appealing than ever they look great. And then, as I mentioned, once you get past that, you know, 30, 35, though, few do emerge in wide receiver yeah. throughout the season. So uh, you have it both both ways there. It's funny. You're about right. It seems like there's really 15 very safe receivers. The only controversial one I have there out of there is I have Mike. Williams. I move Mike Williams ahead of Keenan Allen. Is that a spicy take there for you? What do you, what do you think uh, on that one? I'm looking at best ball league ADP right now. And like, he's going 30th overall. Keenan Allen's going 27th overall. So like, the oh, key, it's that close. Okay. The, it's not very spicy in, at all. Among, among like the freak shows drafting right now, I think yeah. in August yeah. and September, I think the gap will be a little bigger, but 
I haven't quite gotten to Mike Williams over Keenan Allen because I, I think Keenan Allen's role is so safe, but I do think Safety that the gap sure. should be, should be really close. Like this is a very close gap. I can kind of justify this one, but man, I mean, you just look at that Chargers offense, like they're going to score a ton of points. So I, I'm, I'm in on both guys at ADP. Um, I haven't quite gotten to Mike Williams over Keenan Allen, but I also might just be holding on to like the Keenan Allen of old. I don't know that he's totally in decline or anything like that, but I, again, I do think like that gap should uh, be closed, but I know you want to talk about a, a several specific receivers and we can start at the guys at the top first, because the one thing I will say this year, wide receiver looks great. Like, I, like you said, and like I said, 15 guys here that you could really make a pretty solid case for and feel really good about. But after the first, I would say two guys in Cooper cup and Justin Jefferson, I think there's a tear break there. I think those guys feel really great. And I'm I'm totally cool with Jamar Chase, Steph Diggs, uh, whatever, as like back half round one picks. But I don't really want to take Devontae Adams in the first round. I don't really want to take CeeDee Lamb is getting up there like 13th overall in best ball ADP right now. Debo Samuel, 17th overall. I'm not feeling like great about him as wide receiver six. You know, maybe like wide receiver eight, nine, I feel pretty good about, but there's nobody that I really want to push ahead of him. Like, I'm not trying to push Tyree Kill up the board. I'm not trying – I like Mike Evans this year, but I'm, I don't know if I can justifiably rank him as, like, wide receiver five. I do think the top of the wide receiver board, because of all of the change, with Devontae Adams changing teams, Ty, Tyree Kill changing teams, um, you know, A.J. Brown changing teams uh, as well, I do think there's a gap at the back end of the top five of wide receivers for, like, I don't think any of these guys have, and they might, you know, in a, in a outside scenario, but like, I think wide receiver one overall just feels really good between Cooper cup and Justin Jefferson. And that's kind of it. You took the words out of my mouth on that. I've settled on for sure. It's, it's, it's cup versus Jefferson for the number one receiver for me. I think it should be uh, number two and number three picks off the board overall. And uh, as much as uh, Chase, I, I get why he's next because he could, there's room for even uh, more. But he was 38th in target rate last year. T, T. Higgins had a higher target and hog rate than, than his own teammate. Uh, so I, I think he is behind Cup and Jefferson, Frank. I mean, Jefferson uh, led the Dude. league in, in air yards and Whopper last year and now gets a gigantic coaching upgrade. I mean, I know Thielen may, may be able to stay healthier at this stage, but Jefferson, I personally have him even ahead of Cup, but I can see the argument there either way. Um, so you're with me there, and Chase is definitely a, a third. And then I I, I moved Lamb next, but I know that that's a stretch. He hasn't actually done it. My Ooh. question to you is Diggs versus Adams, because I originally said Adams indoors, you know, put up big numbers at uh, Fresno with Carr. But there's Renfro there, Waller, a new system. Adams is older than Diggs. But then I, I worry that maybe Gabe Davis is that guy that's just going to dominate. And, uh, you know, Diggs went from a 166 targets to 164, but just a big drop off in yardage and the touchdowns were there. So Diggs and Adams, can you, who, who are you picking? I think Diggs has wide. I mean, I know people are going to roll their eyes because I had him ranked as my top receiver last year, and he didn't quite live up to that explosive potential as he showed in, in 2020. But he had a great season, obviously. I, I think Diggs has wide receiver one overall in his range of outcomes this year because, I, obviously, again, Cooper Cup, Justin Jefferson, the two guys I, I think are like you can legitimately rank one of those two guys wide receiver one overall. I don't think you can rank anyone else legitimately a wide receiver one overall, but just range of outcomes wise. I do think Stefan Diggs has that again, it checks every single box that you're looking for verifiably good at the game. We know that he's squarely in his prime. He's tied to one of the best, you know, top three quarterbacks in the NFL in Josh Allen, great passing first ecosystem. And 
I, I, I don't know about Gabe Davis, man. Like I could, I I'm kind of in the camp where I don't want to have a strong take on Gabe Davis, which by the way, like if you're drafting in best ball formats right now, you have to have a strong take on Gabe Davis. Cause you have to take him as like wide receiver 25 or something like that, which feels hyper, hyper aggressive. I could see him being a good starting receiver. I honestly could see him not being that good uh, to this point th- so far the Bills have not really trusted Gabe Davis uh, with a full workload. Now, their actions this year speak to the fact that he, there is no competition for Gabe Davis to be that number two outside wide receiver in this offense. The only guys that they added this year are Khalil Shakir in round five, who is a round, he's a round five receiver. Like he might legitimately do nothing this year and nobody would be surprised. And Jamison Crowder, who I do think is going to be like a potential upgrade over Cole Beasley in the slot, but like, those roles are not going to overlap between him and Gabe Davis, of course. So uh, they did also add a second tight end in OJ Howard. Maybe they want to play more uh, two tight end sets. OJ Howard also can split out. Dawson Knox can also split out. So I don't know. I could. The reason I, I really want to be aggressive on Stefan Diggs this year is because of all the things we mentioned. And what if Gabe Davis, who I think it's like a straight 50-50 shot in terms of he's good or he's not, or he's like worth this ADP or he's not. What if Gabe Davis is not that 50% negative thing happens and then Diggs just absolutely dominates the target share here and you, his efficiency basically meets in the middle from 2020 and uh, 2021. And then I think you're golden with like 170 targets there. Yeah, no, Gabe Davis is a great segue because he's one of my main question marks. I mean, he had the big four touchdown game in the playoffs. The last game of the regular season, he had three catches on 14 targets. I mean, so we've yeah. seen highs and, and, and lows. By, and by the way, if you watch him play, like if you go and watch the tape, he stunk in that game. He was not good. Couldn't get open. Couldn't, you know, win in tight coverage, stuff like that. Like this is not some like first round mega talented wide receiver. Right, like, right. Gabe Davis can burn like no doubt. I think he's going to make a ton of big plays, but like if he's a Devonte Parker type of talent, like a poor man's Devonte Parker, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And like Parker had one great season with Ryan Fitzpatrick and has mostly done nothing, you know, besides that. So, and I think by the way, that's like a potential best case scenario for him as being like a poor man's Devonte Parker. And Parker was a first round pick. Parker is like a really talented player, but he's obviously been inconsistent. Then I think there's other ranges of outcomes where Gabe Davis is not even that good. And, and then we're, that's pretty problematic. So that's kind of the thing is that, yeah, I think everybody remembers the four touchdown game, the, the playoff performance there. But he had bad games to to end last season. It's not like Gabe Davis is not one of these guys that like as soon as he hits the field, boom, he's he's there. I mean, he'll be productive because he's in a good offense. But I don't know. I'm rambling a lot about Gabe Davis, but I I do think it there's a huge there's a huge range of outcomes for Gabe Davis, and I don't even know if the ceiling is all that great because like I think there's zero percent chance he's the best receiver on this team, and that's kind of problematic for me too. Yeah, and this offense, no Emmanuel Sanders, no Cole Beasley. I see the upside, but definitely some downside as well. I, I'm debating ranking, ranking, compare him versus Rashad Bateman and Darnell Mooney. Bateman, I want to rank super high as well. I have all Me three too. of these guys, by the way, top 25, and maybe that's too aggressive. Um, but Bateman has not done it, and he's on a Baltimore team that wants to throw the ball 18 times a game. So do you have any do you have strong thoughts on, on Bateman versus Davis? Those are like you know two kind of unknown upside guys. Yeah, Mooney's a tough one. Uh, but I do think I'll be on Rashad Bateman over Gabe Davis. Uh, I hear the passing ecosystem part of it, but Bateman, I do think is like a super talented player. I think he is like, I think he's that okay, guy. Right, I think, interesting. okay. So easy, easy Bateman over Gabe Davis for you. 
Yes, I feel pretty confident about that. I know that the Ravens, obviously, with their moves this year, they they clearly like. I I don't know though. I mean, you, you tell me. Obviously, they draft an offensive lineman in the first round, but like they needed to draft a center, right? Like that offensive line is going to be so much better from a pass protecting standpoint than it was uh, last year. That's one part of it that I feel pretty good about their passing offense. You know, J.K. Dobbins is back, but like he's also a pretty good candidate to start training camp on the PUP. Um, obviously even Gus Edwards is going to be an upgrade over the goofballs that they ran out last year. And like Devonta Freeman. And I mean, they had Le'Veon Bell taking snaps for this <laughs> team, bro. Like not great, but then it's like Mike Davis, you know? So I don't know that they've, they traded away Marquise Brown, but if you actually dig into that situation, Marquise Brown was the run that requested the trade. Eric DaCosta said it was a really painful decision to make. I think they only traded Marquise Brown because they got good value back for him. They basically got kind of the equivalent of a second round pick considering they sent a third round pick uh, along with Marquise Brown to get that first round or they got back a third round pick, you know, whatever. Um, anyways, they sent a third round pick, whatever you get the point. So I think that like we say that, oh, by their offseason moves, they clearly are doubling down on their identity. But I also think their offseason moves are just doubling down on Rashad Bateman as the number one wide receiver. Like they might add a veteran guy, but they didn't add anyone of huge significance. By the way, knowing back and back at the end of the season that they were going to trade, they were going to trade uh, Marquise Brown. Yeah. And the, and the rest of that wide receiver room in Baltimore is, is Atlanta Falcons thin. I mean, it's bad. So, uh, it's all right. Bad. Okay. B Bateman above Davis. And that could be, and it doesn't even seem particularly clo close. So I, I like it. And Darnell Mooney, let me hype him a little. I mean, Bears yeah, fan, Andy it, Barron, Bears fan, Andy Barron's uh, said, I, we can't get more than what we saw last year from him, but isn't Allen Robinson gone? Matt Nagy's gone year two of Justin Fields. Mooney went for a thousand yards with three different QBs on a bottom three offense last year is he not physically able to withstand 175 targets do you think or or is he getting underrated as a guy who's gonna get 180 targets uh and he should be treated as a top 20 fantasy wideout give me the under on 170 targets <laughs> okay <laughs> okay but but i do think like from a usage standpoint from a deployment standpoint you look at like the route charts i will literally i'll send them to you after this show like uh, the the route charts for both not just uh, not just Darnell Mooney but also Allen Robinson. Like these are guys that are Darnell Mooney is a fast player. Like he can win downfield. Allen Robinson has been a vertical threat at uh, some point at most points during his career. These guys are running like just a ton of little short routes. You know, like in Matt Nagy's stupid. Like nobody loves quick game more than Matt Nagy. And I know they can't pass protect. Justin Fields takes a lot of sacks, but Justin Fields is a big game hunter, bro. Like he, he wants that big play. He's, he has been that guy basically from the beginning. And I think that that, that of all the rookies, he averaged the, the, the average yes. high, longest depth of completion or something crazy. Like that really surprised me that status came out. Sorry, go ahead. No. So I think that's the thing. Like, even if Darnell Mooney is not going to be a guy that can handle 170 targets. And I, I don't think he, I think he profiles as more of a really good complimentary receiver, but he's going to get a ton of volume in this offense. Like in an, I should say in an ideal scenario, he's a complimentary receiver and complimenting anybody on this current Chicago bears offense, but the volume might not see the uptick, but I could see the efficiency taking an uptick this year. I'm just saying 140 targets is a is second year in the league. And now Allen Robinson's gone. And yeah. I mean, Justin Fields could take a leap. So I don't, I don't think it's a stretch to see 150 plus targets from Mooney. And I think he's getting slightly underrated, but um, all right. So you like Bateman uh, is the clear winner among these three. Yes. I think Bateman's the clear winner. Um, but you, you, would you have Davis over, over uh, Darnell Mooney? 
I, man, I'm, I'm asking you. I keep going back and forth and all these. That's what I'm saying. No, I had uh, I had Davis, I had a Davis, Bateman, and then Mooney. But like I said, it's just so close for me. But now I'll have, I have to, to definitely move Bateman over Davis. Uh, I like to take there. By the way, I have all these guys over DK Metcalf. Here's a a, a fun yeah. stat for you: air yards per game last year with Russell Wilson, 104. With Geno Smith, 48. The, the, I mean, you realize that Geno Smith's going to be quarterbacking, it looks like. Uh, maybe not Drew Locke. And that ain't great for fans. I mean, Drew Locke is bad as he is real life. At least he's, like, aggressive downfield. I don't know, man. And all the end zone targets, I'm, I'm definitely down on DK Metcalf. I'd rather take a swing on one of those other upside guys. Or is that crazy? Because Metcalf's e- ECR is still ahead of these guys. I think I will probably come down on the side of ranking DK Metcalf over these guys. Um, certainly over Gabe Davis and, and Darnell okay, Moody. Right. Like, Okay. But, right. but am I? But let me tell you what. Like I say that, am I ever gonna click DK Metcalf? Am I ever gonna do it comfortably? Hell no. But am I ever gonna actually click his name in a draft? Uh, I I don't know. Even like, I don't. I think the gap between Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf right now in 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 best ball drafts, like Tyler Lockett is going wide receiver forty four. DK Metcalf is still going, uh, you know, fringe top twenty at the position. Yeah. Um, no, that's a, that that doesn't make sense. The gap there does not make sense with those two players. Because if if Lockett's going to crater, why is Metcalf not going to crater? Because from a volume perspective, it's still those two guys and 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 nobody else. But I even say that. Am I still am I still tempted to click Tyler Lockett where he's going? Probably not. Yeah, there's also a video of him. I guess Metcalf just eats all kinds of uh, candy. His diet's out of control. And, you know, me and my uh, my crazy diet. So what, uh, yeah, my, I, I actually <laughs> thought when I saw that, I thought you were the first person I thought of. Like, if somebody's going to spin this into a fantasy take, it's going to be dull. I'm out on Metcalf. Exactly. Yes, that's, funny. that's funny. Okay, final one here. The last receivers I want to suggest I want to ask you about is Sutton and Judy in Denver. I'm having a hard time. I, I just ranked them back to back, took the cop out there. I oh, was a Judy too. guy, but he suffered another injury. I can't forget that Sutton just disappeared at like a six week stretch last year. He was behind Patrick and even went healthy, but obviously a totally different quarterback situation here. If you read the the buzzes that Wilson's connecting better with Sutton. So, so who, who do you like among these two or, or between these two, or is it just, you know, who knows at this point? This is a, a perfect way to kind of encapsulate how I feel about this whole thing. You're asking me this here today on June 8th. I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Andy, and I said, give me the Jerry Judy side slightly. And now here today, a couple of weeks later, I'm kind of like, give me the Cortland Sutton side slightly. So I feel like I can go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth between these two guys. But I will say about Jerry Judy, just from from watching him last year, if you're going to be okay with Jerry Judy going forward based on how he played last year, you have to, and I'm talking from an individual standpoint, because he was basically average at best from an individual standpoint when he was playing last year. If you're going to, you have to basically write that all off to injury. If you're going to be kind of on the bullish side of the DK uh, of, of the Jerry Judy argument. Yeah. And there's some stats that he just like toasted bad Judy toasted, like bad, like linebackers and safeties yeah. and was like not great in team coverage, but it could have been in playing on a high ankle sprain and all that. Too. Exactly. So, this is a tough one, but I, a couple of things I would note though, is that Russell Wilson before that injury last year was, was absolutely balling in September. He had uh 10.4 YPA, seven touchdowns, zero picks. And the fact that he doesn't, he doesn't even want to r- r- run the RPO anymore is good for these fantasy receivers. I'm high on Alberto. And I think both Sutton and Judy could be, top 20 fantasy wideouts i mean wilson is perennially up there with tom brady is among the league leaders in end zone targets which is just so nice for for fantasy receivers so all right here you don't have a strong take between these two and i think it is difficult here's my strong take i have them both ranked ahead of dj moore 
who, uh, if you look at his splits with, with, with healthy McCaffrey, not great. Um, yeah, he led the league in off-target throws last year, but I didn't. I, I, last I checked, they have the same shaky quarterback situation. Yeah. Guy has 14, 14 touchdowns in 63 games, DJ Moore. I, I, I don't know, man. I don't see. I get it. The PPR floor is super high, and people in Dynasty want to rank him number one. Yeah, but I don't know. What are your thoughts on DJ Moore? Uh, don't love, speaking of the, the quarterback situation, don't love that, um, <laughs> you know, Matt rules trying to hype Sam Darnold up saying today, uh, that, uh, this was the best practice he's had since he's been with the team or, or the best he's looked since he's been with the team. It's like, God, for God's sakes, man, you know, they're talking about maybe, you know, they're, they're going to discuss with Cam Newton where the two sides are. They're still looking at a veteran quarterback, like, yeah, all of these appealing wide receivers. I mean, I can really make a pretty good case for Marquise Brown, you know. Uh, oh, yeah, I have him above going, him. Yeah. Going yeah. in the oh, same range Pittman. of DJ yeah. Moore. For all sure. bets are like, off when Jimmy G gets shipped to, G- to Carolina, then then I'll be back oh, in yeah. on, then on, I'm on, in. on more. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. Actually, serious, I agree. Low A dot, that'd be like perfect for DJ Moore, actually. Yeah, no, I'm, and he's, by the way, like people talk trash about Jimmy G, but like he's a competent NFL quarterback, you know, like he, he, and that is a lot more than what DJ Moore has played with the last couple of years. So, but even like, you know, Terry McLaurin's going after DJ Moore, Uh, give me Terry McLaurin over DJ Moore. Uh, You know, Deontay Johnson's sort of in a similar boat, but probably, I don't know. I I, I go back and forth on that one too. The last thing on the Denver receivers, I am terrified to get this situation wrong, you know, because I got, cup over woods right last year not obviously didn't rank cup where he should have been ranked nobody did but like i was right on which wide receiver was going to benefit from the new quarterback um but then on the flip side i got the san francisco situation the split between those two receivers about as wrong as you could possibly get it although i give myself a little bit of a pass because we didn't know that brand like we could have gotten maybe one report that something was up with brandon Ayuk and the whole doghouse situation but still either way got that situation wrong so i'm terrified to get this one wrong i'm terrified that if i rank if i'm bullish on Cortland sutton then jerry judy has the cooper cup year not that i think either of these guys are going to do that but but that also brings me to just the last point on these two guys too i'm not i there's too many good players in this offense don't you think uh to be for one of these guys to have an absolutely nuclear season you know, Albert O's going to command volume. Tim yeah. Patrick's going to command volume. Like that's true. They still... I know. And even KJ Hamler's interesting and two good running backs. I hear you. Yeah, they want to run yeah. the ball. So I don't know. Don't feel great about that. Uh, don't feel great about uh, these Denver wide receivers. I'm probably. I don't know how I'm going to split the two rankings up, but I'm probably not going to be super super bullish on either one of them. Although it seems like you you want to be bullish on them. Yeah, but those are fair points, and I am also bullish on Alberto. And there's only so many touchdowns go go around. Um, but um, I, I will say this: uh, some nice buzz about Brandon Ayuk, and I'd say there's like a forty five percent forty five percent chance he is a better fantasy season than Debo this year. Something, it, and, and the ADPs don't reflect that. But um, oh, I feel no. like it's something about that, uh, something around there. But anyway, thanks for uh, humoring me with this receiver talk. Um, I, I'm definitely uh, good. I'm, I'm in on Rashad Bateman. He should be a top twenty guy. So. Good, good, good to hear that uh, confirmation. And let's uh, let's move on to the next strategy. We'll be talking RB heavy. Yeah, I'm all the way back in on Brandon Ayuk too. So yeah, let's <laughs> let's hit on uh, running back heavy real quick. Uh, and, and obviously, we'll talk one more strategy before we get out of here. But I feel like you've kind of hit the the pros and cons of running back heavy. Uh, he and basically the the strategy here is you just like robust RB. You load up on these guys. I feel like you and I uh, were kind of. Looking at this strategy last year, too, um, it didn't go great. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of busts at the running back position. And then this year, I just don't know. We, I feel like we've talked the cons of this. Obviously, the pros are, hey, if you get three starting running backs, 
your team is going to be good. That's the pro of the strategy. The con is all of the risk at the position. And this year I feel is very risky. Yeah, it's just too much risk of the position. It's great if you make it work, but good luck picking three running um, running backs. Um, I guess some people try to pick four straight rounds and just hope you get three of them because, I mean, it's obviously the position. If you do hit the home run, it is the, the most impactful. But um, yeah, in today's NFL, the way the game is changing, it just doesn't make as much, doesn't make as much sense. There's so few bell cows. Uh, it's Jonathan Taylor or bust for me as far as running backs early. And the flip side of that, again, to bring <laughs> Because everything comes back to wide receiver, Dalton. Um, the flip side of going robust RB is that people do feel, and it's true, that the wide receiver position is very, very deep. Like, there are good players you can get around wide receiver 40. You know, I mean, our guy Brandon Ayuka is going at wide receiver 39. Hunter Renfro, wide receiver 40. Amon Ross St. Brown, 34. Devonta Smith, 35. Elijah Moore, 32. Um, you know, Russell Gage. Wide receiver 43. I feel pretty good about that. Kadarius Tony has a lot of upside at wide receiver 46, but odds are those guys are not going to give you steady week in, week out production uh, like some of the other players we just talked about. So that's the other risk of the o- robust RB strategy. If you don't hit on all four or five of those wide receivers that you're going to take, you're going to absolutely slam that position rounds five to eight. And odds are you're not going hit, to hit them. That Then your team and those running backs two or three of them bust your team absolutely sucks yeah the position better be deep because it's going to be heavily targeted in your draft you know people are going to take three or four of them so it's going to need to go uh, as deep as you said and running backs i could counter and say um guys going in the same same area have as much upside if not more especially from the running back position because all it takes is one area and then suddenly your opportunity changes big time where there are some nice uh, insurance receivers that could be the case but it's far more in running back and as i said there's just this the, the the data last year just proved it out receivers this rarely produced uh are you know first round weeks that would go later in drafts compared to running backs they just emerge and that's that's a yearly pattern uh, I think ro- if you're weighing like hero RB or zero RB first, like robust RB, you know, against each other, d- one way to put it is, do you want to have the best team that you can screenshot your draft and post it on Twitter and be and everybody be like, wow, hell of a team. You know, you've got four great running backs and Elijah Moore a- as your wide receiver one. He could be great this year. And like everybody f- just, you want the likes and the retweets. Go with that robust RB strategy. But I do think hero RB, anchor RB, even a little more than zero RB gives you a chance to be more flexible and more um, anti-fragile is the whole point of Sean Siegel's original article. Gives you more chance to be anti-fragile in season. You're more more flexibility in season. um, Because like I said, and I know this as a, let me put my hand up and say that this happened to me a couple of times last year. If you do go robust RB and your running backs bust and then your wide receivers don't work out and don't have the ceiling that you imagine, your team is just going to take on water early and fast and you're not going to be able to recover from it. That's a good point too. If you're coming, if you're doing the zero RB strategy, or don't don't expect to win the uh, the draft uh, grades, you know, because it's going to look uh, you're going to have a couple weak spots, and uh, who knows who that that, that RB one or two is going to be for you the second half of the season. You may not even know that yet. So uh, that is a that is a good point. What's the last one? Late round QB. Yeah, last one we'll talk about here. By the way, I love that. Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that you know, producer John was like, if this podcast is 30 minutes, that'll be great. If it, it could last an hour, though, and, and we're approaching here on 52 minutes, I've got on my timer. So uh, shout out to us, Dalton, for being able to talk about fantasy football in this much depth here on June 8th. We really like this stuff. Late round quarterback, though. Let's talk about the strategy. Obviously, it's pretty simple. You wait uh, and you wait on quarterback, right? You try to find that upside guy or you stream the position, whatever. Where are you at with late round quarterback, though? Because I do think and even the late round quarterback, second time I'm going to mention JJ on the show. So uh, shout out to, to him. He owes me a check for this one. Not that he needs my help. I think he would even tell you this, the, the, the lens of the strategy has kind of moved in recent years. Um, so where are you at with like the whole late round quarterback uh, philosophy and do you want to implement it in drafts this year? First, I do recommend Superplex uh, if you're yes. thinking about doing that in your home league. It doesn't work great in deeper leagues, like 14-team formats, but it's a, quarterback's the most important position in sports. So uh, mess around with Superflex. I think it's fun. Uh, otherwise, otherwise, uh, yeah, late-round QB, uh, it does. So the two recent examples are Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts. They're guys who run. They were available you know, after the 15, top 15 quarterbacks, and they produce top five type per game value. This year, uh, I, I hear you, the landscape has changed some, but I look at my guy Trey Lance is the QB 13 right now, so he's not being drafted in the top 12 QBs. Um, he was easily the most fantasy points per drop back last year. He's yeah. playing with a broken finger and uh, ostensibly should be better in year two. There's Justin Fields and Daniel Jones are not being drafted in the top 15, and those guys both provide value on, with their legs. So I feel like a quarterback position, this can be implemented still just as easily. Kirk Cousins, I looked up his, not necessarily just guys who, quarterbacks who run. Kirk Cousins is ECR his expert consensus rank is a QB 16 right now. He's thrown 33 plus TDs in each of the last two seasons. Gets a huge coaching upgrade. Adam Thielen, Irv Smith back. I mean, he's not going in the top 15 QBs. So yeah, if you're playing a one QB league, I think you can comfortably still wait on the position. Uh, again, especially if Trey Lance is not getting drafted as a starter right now. I mean, Jimmy G ain't, ain't coming back to San Francisco. No. Yeah, yeah. Trey Lance is starting the full season. I've never been more convinced of that. Uh, look at look at his face behind you. He he looks confident as hell. He looks ready to roll. Uh, Trey Lance does. Yeah. So I, I agree with you that those guys, Justin Fields, I feel a little like eh, on if he's like your late round quarterback, you know, centerpiece. Because I will say this about Fields, like I don't think he is as like we want him to be a rushing quarterback, and he can he can run, but like his first and foremost is like hitting that deep pass. So, I mean, he could be a great fantasy quarterback, but I'm just not totally convinced about the ecosystem. And I don't know that he has like the rushing upside of even a guy like Jalen hurts, you know, to be, uh, to give you that floor from a fantasy perspective. We certainly didn't see it last year, but I'm all in on Trey Lance. Yeah. I mean, my God, I'm all in on Trey Lance for sure. I will say though, the, the, these guys like Kyler Murray, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson too, they are such, prolific statistical passers as well as having this great rushing floor that it has made me and I've been a guy like yeah give me give me Kirk Cousins as QB 14 15 off the board uh, as my and let me stream the position you do give yourself just a boatload of upside um, from a weekly because these guys like Josh Allen and they're just going to dominate the, the the top of the quarterback leaderboard literally every single week you give yourself a lot more upside uh, when you do go for these guys. Cause I think these players have been the ones that have changed the game from like when JJ first put out the late round quarterback ebook, 
um, number three time JJ on the show. My God, a check better be in the mail. Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I think that there has been some change at the league-wide level with the quarterback position that has uh, ne- necessitated change with how we view them in fantasy. Yeah, with Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson running less, uh, my top four are all the dual threat guys. Allen, Jackson, I have Hurts number three, and then uh, Murray. With Jalen Hurts going uh, as his ECR's QB7, I have no problem getting him in the mid-rounds for sure, adding A.J. Brown there. I think he's played quietly hurt the final uh, la- last two seasons. He ended the year hurt, and it's just kind of masked his uh his passing ability. I'm all in on him. Uh, so I'm, I'm totally cool. And even, even Josh Allen, if he falls to round four, I'm okay with just the situation. It's not like guys back in the day, they would, they would, they would reach for these quarterbacks, you know, in end of round one. So I think that as a, as a collective group, fantasy uh, managers have become smarter with the position and you can attack it in any number of ways. I mean, I'm, I'm totally good with, with, with getting them in the middle rounds or just totally waiting on, on the position. So that, that's why I think that Superflex makes so much sense because I like detective Davis yeah. Mills uh, as a sleeper. <laughs> And it wouldn't matter at all in a one QB league, you know, but it would, it would matter if you're starting two of these guys and he outperforms, you know, he's the 20th best fantasy QB instead of the 30th, like he's being treated now. So that's why I, I do like introducing the, 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 the super flex position when possible. And last note on late round quarterback too, you can totally do a late round quarterback ish approach in super flex while the rest of your thirsty league mates are, are slamming, you know, all these quarterbacks early. You can certainly get a Trey Lance at QB 10 and Kirk cousins at QB 14 uh, sort of tandem there. And if Trey Lance hits, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, championship. Or at least you can go late round quarterback at your second spot in a two QB or super flex format. Um, and even if you do want to get that upside at uh, at 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 the position there with Josh Allen or something like that. So, all right, Dalton, good strategy talk. Good. Uh, I feel like we're gonna have like a wide receiver talk every single. <laughs> yeah, I know. I every have, single yeah, episode, sure. and, yeah. and I'm totally in. That that's fine with me. Obviously, that's all I think about. So it's it's probably good to do it. But uh, that is going to do it for us in this episode. Uh, what do you have coming up that people can check out besides uh, your great golf game? Oh, uh, I've got the fantasy baseball columns. Check out my Twitter feed for all that. But good talking uh, football with you, Harmon. And, and you better believe I have some some questions left uh, on, on on the backroom stage here for you for next time for some some receiver debate. All right, cool. Well, I will be back in in route prison here uh, over the next <laughs> few weeks before my uh, vacation in July. So uh, better believe I will be ready to answer those questions. In the meantime, uh, as Dalton said, make sure you're following him on Twitter at Dalton Del Don. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. And while you're there, make sure you're following at Yahoo Fantasy. Of course, Liz and Scott will be back on Tuesday of next week. But until then, we are out.